0: Hello and welcome to episode 11 of series 4 of the Engaging in Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. (music) My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. So this is episode 99 in total. We're coming up to our 100th episode, which is our next show, which goes out on the 6th of June. And we have an interview with Richard Newman, who is an expert in body talk and body language. And he's going to be telling us all about how internal communications can act as change makers and the roles that uh, people's presence and nonverbal communication plays in that. So that's going out on the 6th of June. And then on the 20th of June, we've got a really interesting conversation with Zane Landon. Now Zane is a, a recently employed intern in, within an organization he's well, say—he's an intern, he's actually a fully fully fledged employee within National Geographic and he's just started his career in internal communications but Zane is an amazing character hes he's got lots of dynamism and very much uh, someone who's very keen to learn and grow and he's reached out to me to say he wants to talk about his early experiences of working in internal communications. He's very, very 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 smart guy very got some really good ideas and also um very very good at marketing his own ideas as well for someone so new to the profession so um an interview with him when he's going to be telling us all about the so challenges of Starting a career in internal communication, some of his initial impressions of the of the of the uh, of the of the profession and um, some of his aspirations for the future. So, if any of you are employing people in in early stage careers or within internal comms, or if you yourself are in that early stage, it's always good to think from to hear from fellow professionals uh, and also to find out what what people are thinking and feeling who are moving into this wonderful profession. So, Zane's interview is going to be going out on the twentieth of. June, and you can listen into that on uh, the usual sources that you listen to the podcast. Now, I have another request for you. If you want to get a mention on the show, we've got an interview that's going to be going out towards, to more towards the end of the year, probably in a few few uh, months' or months' time. But before we do that, we, we're going to be uh, actually crowdsourcing some questions for our guest. We don't normally do this, but um, his, his expertise is in commercial listening, which may sound like an odd topic, but basically all of the skills that leaders and professionals need within organisations to be able to listen better. As internal communicators, we're very good at uh, making ourselves heard or, or, or projecting ourselves. But actually, as we probably recognise and know that to, there's two sides to communications, and one is being able, being heard as well. And actually, being heard is a really important component of being an effective employee engagement organisation. Having good employee engagement, being helping our employees to be heard. So our our expert in in in, in commercial and organisational listening, would like to know that what is it that you struggle with in or, in your organisation, whether that's on an individual level or on a team level or on a leadership level, when it comes to listening, and if we think of listening in its broadest context, that reception of our our messages, but also us listening to what people are saying so we can act appropriately. So if you've got a question, and I'll give you a mention on the show, so if any of you want to, to have your name read out, um, and obviously if you want to be anonymous, that will, will, will respect that as well. So if you let us know when you get in touch with us with your question, whether you're happy for your name to be read out or whether you want to stay anonymous. But what are some of the things you're struggling with in your organisation when it comes to listening? Listening to what employees are saying um, and and also it, taking in that information and responding effectively. So whatever questions you've got on listening, if you want to fire those through to me. So if you go to uh, send me an email at info at uk, you can do it that way. Or if you go to the website for the podcast engagingic.com that's engagingic.com you'll see that there is a, a feedback form at the bottom there, if you just type in your question and say it's a question for our listening expert, obviously I'll, I'll probably realise that anyway from the nature of your your message, uh, let us know your uh, and again if you let us know uh, whether you want you want a shout out on the show, um, as I say that's probably we're going to be recording that in, uh, in, in June time um, but that's probably not going to go out until sort of later on in the year just give them the amount of interview interviews that we've uh, we've got scheduled at the moment and that we've already recorded okay so if you're interested in that as i say email info at or send us a message via our uh, the comms form the 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 form that you'll find at engagingic.com that's it i'm going to shut up now you're probably thinking when's he going to finish so i can listen to today's interview well here it is The challenge for many organisations is how do we help to connect people between our overall mission, purpose, vision and values and the bottom line results that we deliver. I've worked in lots of different organisations and for lots of organisations where there seems to be two separate conversations going on. We're talking about our purpose, our mission, our vision, our values as something that's kind of abstract and distant. And then on a day to day basis, people are being driven by KPIs, scorecards and other metrics, which somehow seem distant and unrelated between the two. So what we're going to be looking at today is how do we connect those together and what are the things that connect them together? We're going to be looking at how purpose and mission and values connect to leadership behaviors and management behaviors. We're going to be looking at some of the elements of how leaders should be modeling and role modeling what we're trying to uh, uh, communicate to them on uh, our employees when it comes to the, the outputs of the business. We're going to be looking at how we can then drive employee engagement. So the employee engagement is part of that connection between purpose, mission, vision and values and our day-to-day results. And what is it that employees actually need to feel engaged, something that we've covered on the show before. And then we're going to look at the importance of culture, structure and strategy and how they drive the bottom line results that we're all craving for or striving for within our businesses and talking about on a regular basis. And those results that we're talking about, we're going to look at the impact of how our experiences link to our beliefs and our beliefs then result in actions and then re- those actions result in the actual bottom line deliverables that we we get from our business activity. So we've got lots to talk about. We've got a very experienced uh, interviewee today, who's going to be sharing their experience with us, who's worked a lot across a lot of cultures, who brings some very interesting background as well—not a traditional HR and comms background, but a scientific background to this approach as well. So that's what we're going to be looking at in this today interview today. How can we connect our mission and our results within our organisation so that there is a con- coherent connection between the two? I hope you enjoy it. My guest today is Kimberly Weefing. Kimberly has extensive experience in the R&D and manufacturing of complex systems of hardware, software, firmware, chemistry, and physics. Kimberly enables leaders to avoid or fix the most common causes of failure in global teams, problems that damage or destroy companies, along with billions of dollars of shareholder value. A physicist by education, she found that many many of these are human problems that don't require rocket science. All that's required to achieve significant positive impacts in many of these cases is some common sense and putting that into common practice. So, hello, Kimberly, How are you?
1: Hello, Craig. Well, I'm hanging in there, you know, like everybody. never It's always too soon to give up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for our listeners, whereabouts in the world are you? Can you give us some geographical positioning, please?
1: Silicon Valley. I like to say I'm a citizen of the world living in Silicon Valley, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area, attached to California.
0: Wow. I normally do a kind of geographical orientation for for our our European listeners who aren't always sure about your US geography, but I think we all probably know we can visualize California. We've all seen it on TV enough. So so I I gather from what we were talking about just before we started recording, it's not the idyllic Californian scene that we would normally get weather-wise at the moment. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: You know, after years of a water shortage and a long-term drought, we have had atmospheric rivers and bomb cyclones. We have had 150 kilometers per hour winds, rain like crazy, and uh, things washing away, uh, mudslides, people without electricity for two weeks. One of my friends up in the mountains, and so it has been feeling like I'm a survivalist on some kind of TV show. (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh my goodness oh my goodness well
1: down craig it's anxiety inducing i must say but hey we've got plenty of water for next year
0: (laughs) (laughs) and when you say you're hanging in there i think we kind of understand what you meant now though so yeah 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 okay tell us a little bit more about that fascinating career that you've had in you know chemistry physics software firmware hardware r&d manufacturing tell us a little bit give us a little potted history of kimberly and, and how you've ended up doing what you're doing now
1: yeah. I wanted to be a scientist when I was a child growing up. It was so exciting. I had an Alka-Seltzer powered rocket in a chemistry set. And then as soon as I could get money together for a university, I uh, studied chemistry and physics, double major. And then I got into graduate school for physics and I got a master's in physics. I did not go on and complete my PhD, but it turns out it was perfect preparation for me for tackling impossible things since Physics seemed like an impossible subject for me to pass.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So,
1: but then I got a job at Hewlett Packard as the first, one of the first two female repairmen repairing mass spectrometers. Which I ultimately ended up going out to the factory helping with manufacturing, and then ultimately leading the R and D product development team. For mass spectrometers, which if you don't know what a mass spec is, it has hardware, software, firmware, high vacuum, high pressures, liquids, gases. It's very cool for a scientist kind of person. There's all kinds of challenges and many things that can go wrong, including exploding.
0: Ah. Ah, very good. So, yeah, I do know what a spec is. I, I'm a scientist. I'm a I'm a closet scientist who's sort of now in in this this space as well. So, tell us a little bit about when you made that shift from looking after things that go bang and machines and to softer things like human beings and why they do what they do.
1: Well, you know, since I moved out to Silicon Valley, well, I was working at HP. I was out here and I'm like, what am I working at HP with all this boring job security? Why don't I join a startup? That would be so exciting. So I joined a really huge hardware manufacturing startup it failed in less than a year then i joined another kind of hardware software firmware combo startup boom it failed in less than a year and then i joined a off from xerox park start off with purely software and it failed with the dot-com bus woohoo and uh mm. so don't worry though every time the software or hardware or whatever company failed i got a raise and a promotion so yay
0: (laughs) (laughs) who said that failure doesn't doesn't it doesn't (laughs) say not you You personally but organizational failure
1: well craig you know whenever something so-called bad happens in your life you have to remember you can't tell good luck from bad luck when it's happening so you have to ask yourself what does this stuff make possible that would not have been possible otherwise and sometimes there is a diamond hidden in the dog poop
0: yeah, yeah, very, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a very, very positive way of thinking about it. So, uh, so anyway, so now you're doing what you do. When we originally spoke, you said that you, uh, you, a lot of your work was was linking high level purpose, mission, vision, values to bottom line results. And I think that's a really interesting conversation we can have because I, I you know, a lot of our clients are very. You know, I, I, we work with a lot of organizations and manufacturing org- organizations too. So they've got kind of scorecards and KPIs coming out of their ears. And yet then the, they've also got this kind of high-level vision and values. And yet it seems a bit like there's, you know, a million miles between the two for a lot of people in the organization. They seem like two completely different, unrelated topics. And how we connect them together, I think, is, is vitally important. It's p- part of the work that we do. And I know it's pivotal to the sort of work that you do. But... Why, why is it in your experience that that often is that that gulf between, you know, the kind of the soft, fluffy stuff at the top of the organization and the kind of hard, sort of greasy, sort of hard, you know, kind of hard end of the business where the kind of the, 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 the products are made or serviced or, or, or produced or shipped or all of those sorts of things?
1: It's kind of like uh, when you get in your car, if you were driving your car with your eyes glued to the windshield wipers, I think that's yeah. what happens to a lot of people. And here's how it happens in the business world. You come into work first thing Monday morning, you got all kinds of important things you need to do. But what do people do, Craig, first thing Monday morning, first thing when they get into the office or the factory or wherever they are, what do you think they do first thing?
0: Usually emails. Yep, from the weekend. Hell, yep. yes. <laughs> they open their computer
1: <laughs> and check email. And what does E stand for? Evil or escape real communication. And so they uh-huh. end up spending their whole day going through their inbox. And then they never get to the critical things that are so important, but they feel like they're making progress. Sure, it's a... Uh, like i don't know polishing the silverware on a sinking ship there's mm. just no way that checking email it should be the first thing that you do on a monday morning especially mm. if you're a leader
0: Ab- absolutely yeah and and I, I i talk about that a lot of a lot of times as you know in, and and and, and, and it, i guess what's behind that uh, from from my perspective a lot of that is you, you know a lot of a lot of organizations just that still although you know we, we, we're in an age of multiple channels now and lots of uh you, you know kind of different ways of communicating we still are you know and i'm not i'm not saying email is bad email is, is a great tool it's a great resource but i, I totally agree with you that it's, it's a kind of a a black hole that sucks in a lot of people's time where a lot of it is just churning through things that you really you know kind of using the covey urgent versus important. It's, it's barely, barely urgent and certainly not important, most of it. And I think that's the kind of the the, the trap that people Mm -hmm. fall into, isn't it?
1: Yes. And we, we need to ask the question, what would a great leader, a truly great leader do first thing Monday morning before checking email? That is Mm. the question we need to ask ourselves. And then that is what needs to guide our behavior.
0: Yeah. and in your in from your from you in your opinion what is that you know what what because we used to do this at a company I work for we used to talk about we used to use this idea of the perfect day for a manager as in not not as in you know kind of you come in and you you, you kind of don't do anything and you just sort of sit there and everything ticks over but you know really you're busy but it was a perfect day you'd kind of done everything you needed to do and you'd kind of you weren't home and got in your car or however you went home that night thinking. I've kind of had a really good day and I've really nailed and done some good things. And I kind of feel real job satisfaction. What, what, what does, what does that look like? You know, from your perspective, when you say, you know, what, what, what should be that first thing and second and third and fourth thing that we do on a Monday morning?
1: Well, the one number one cause of failure in teams is, and some of the teams studied over 80% of them failed to achieve results. The number one cause was they didn't build trusting relationships. So Uh. first thing, uh, great leader does in my opinion is wanders around the office the factory or virtually if they need to reach out and connect to their people how's it going how was your weekend what's happening anything that's bugging you anything I'm doing to make things harder for your job what can I do to help and uh, go and make that connection it's just that kind of check-in that's just icebreaker that needs to happen to make that human connection again um, yeah, one of yeah. my colleagues developed a way to do that automatically with a an app. And so a bunch of brick makers in the UK, every beginning of every shift, they get on this little app and it randomly pairs them up with someone else in their uh, shift. And they spend five minutes doing a little check-in. Hey, how are you? What's going on? What do you need right now? And check out.
0: Mm, mm, nice. And then after that, used- you
1: know, it's like reminding people, hey, what we're doing here matters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we used to use an analogy. We used to work with a guy who was who was really good at this. You know, very similar sort of mindset to 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 you and and I, I think. And he used to, he, he used to come in and he used to do some training for our frontline managers in the business I worked in at the time. And he used to use the analogy of the kind of the doctor on the ward. So you you imagine when the doctor goes onto the the kind of ward to to sort of you know see the patients. Are you a doctor who goes and stands at the end of the bed and picks up the clipboard with the kind of all the vital signs on and just looks at that and then sort of rustles it around and then makes a few notes on it and then walks away or you a doctor who goes and talks to the patient and finds out you know how you're feeling you know what, what, what where are you at today you know are you, how are your symptoms you know and and, and we used to use that because we worked in a factory where there's lots of lines of machines and the line managers just had a tendency to just walk along and just sort of look at the you know either the, the screen that were, was showing you how many things were being made by that machine and how efficient it had been over the shift and then you would walk to the next machine and you know there's a there's a there's a person there who's operating it who's just kind of completely ignored and we were trying to get them to you know go and go and and it was noisy so it wasn't easy to have a conversation but people knew how to communicate and you know there they, they were ways around that um and, and think about go and talk to the, the human being who's operating that machine and don't just look at the machine and you know forget that forget it's got an operator and now you know i like i So similar to your analogy there, I think, is that getting out of management by walking about is incredibly important, isn't it? In any environment.
1: We used to call it MBWA, but then we would jokingly refer to it as management by walking away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So once you got that
1: connection, made, then you got to remind people of the purpose beyond profit, the mission that matters. And, you know, for example, I worked with Daichi Sankyo many years ago uh, with some of their High potential leaders, and we ask the question: Are we making drugs, or are we healing people? And mm. it really depends on how you frame it, doesn't it? I mean, like the the whole story about someone's building a building or laying bricks, or are they creating a, a community place where people can come together called a church? You know, so mm. its purpose mm. is really something people need to be reminded of. You know, nobody wants to yeah. just come to work just in exchange for money. That creates very disengaged employees.
0: Yeah, and and how, and and that I, I totally agree with you there, there, there Kimberly. How how would you, you know, I'm going to go back to my analogy, maybe with the machines there, and you know, the machines are making. You know, in this case, food products, which are you know, a fun. They're not. They're not. They're 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 sort of you know, kind of um, the part of the you know, not a key part of your diet, but it's something that's fun to eat. What would again connecting people to the purpose in in that sort of context, or where you know there isn't, we're not maybe making a kind of a something that's curing a major disease, or, or how do we how do we help people in those situations to see that what they do really matters, and 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 that there's a kind of. Uh, you know, there is an end point and end purpose to what they're doing. It's not just about profit or or kind of shareholder value and all of that sort of thing.
1: I think it really helps to keep the impact on the end customer visible. For example, there's a company called Intuit that makes QuickBooks Mm down the road from me in Mountain View here. Mm. And on the wall, when you walk into one of the lobbies in one of the buildings, there are all these customer quotes of how meaningful that QuickBooks software has been to them Mm. and their business. All these uh, customers expressing their appreciation, right? So you keep very visible, hey, this is the impact that we are having on human Mm. beings that use our products, right? And so if you can somehow showcase that someplace where people are going to see it all the time, I actually... I worked in one place that was a big toilet manufacturer called Enax long ago back in Japan. I go to Japan. Most of my work has been there. And and, in the lobby, there's this giant toilet in a giant glass ball, you know, in the middle of the lobby. But it's a reminder. What are we doing here? We are creating something that people use every day and they depend on quite a bit yeah
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah 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 absolutely so so connecting people to you know can reminding people of that 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 that, you know the end purpose and 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 it's not just like you say I like your analogy you know we're not just building laying bricks we're building a community community center of trying to help people and I guess that 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 you know in some conversations that's easier than others you know if we're if we're kind of sharing some latest market update and some customer feedback we can kind of you know set to sort of tell people that uh, other times is maybe you know we've kind of got to talk a little bit about the pathways to how what we do contributes towards that. What 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 are some of the next things that you think are really important that, that we should be talking about in in terms of having that, like you know, doing the right things and and not just sort of going and sitting in the office and answering all the emails. What what what's the next thing that that builds on that kind of connection between the mission and the purpose and the actual end results as well?
1: Well. So sticking with creating that vision of the future, I love to play this game that I call news from the future. So you get people mm. together and say, Hey, let's have a little fun. Let's imagine it's five years from now. We're wildly successful. What are the headlines? What are people saying in the news about you, your team, our factory, our, our organization and our impact on the world? You know, and let them have a little fun with that and then make a collage together. People might not believe this, but I get nice senior level managers making collages on the floor together. And they are quiet as a mouse as they rip pictures and pull things together. There's something uh, that you can buy called the visual explorer set of pictures that are relevant for this kind of thing, or you can make your own. And so get them to do the image of the future and to, to live into it through this role play of creating this news from the future broadcast. And it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, 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 definitely. I've done, I've done similar sorts of things. And, and, and actually, it, it can flush out some really interesting, you, you know, kind of um, perspectives that if you ask people, you know, what's your vision, they'll I'll give you a kind of a very rational way of articulating it. But that, that's a great way to kind of flush out the kind of creative subconscious ideas as well, isn't it?
1: Right on. And then you, you follow that with be the kind of leader people admire and willingly follow. And that's not rocket science either. The Leadership Challenge has 30 years of research that shows you the five areas of the behaviors of the best leaders of planet Earth and start doing mm. that on a regular basis. And then connecting that to what you're trying to do, of course, is increase employee engagement. And that's another three decades long project. Gallup Research has found things like The mission of my company makes me feel like my work is important, that that is directly contributing to employee engagement, which Mm. directly impacts bottom line, top line, and every other measure of quality and success in a business.
0: Mm-hmm. and i'll just point out actually to to listeners that we're, we're going to share a link that, that you've got for your um your kind of this i've got a schematic that connects all of these things together how purpose connects through to sort of bottom line results so we will we'll, we'll put a link to that into the show notes so it may be worth uh people are listening just to if you if you are able to to kind of have a look at that while we're listening to are you listening to the interview just going back then to those leadership and management um Uh, behaviors and and competencies. You you said there were five things there that that managers, do you want to just quickly whiz through those? I know they're on your schematic, but just to kind of outline what they are, just so we can kind of put some shape to those.
1: Yeah, what Craig's talking about is this framework I put together. It's one page, one page people. And if we can't read one page, we probably shouldn't be leading a team. So on Mm. that page, I have the leadership challenge, uh, the five key practices. Number one, model the way. Be a great example of how you want other people in your organization to behave and talk and listen. Mm -hmm. And then uh, inspire a shared vision, right? Make sure that people share this vision of the future and enlist other people in that vision, like I was talking Mm -hmm. about with the news from the future. And the next one was uh, challenge the process, you know, thinking out of the box, searching for opportunities, take necessary risks. Experiment, prototype, mm. learn from mistakes, mm. celebrate failures that you learn from. Of course, don't make the same mistakes over and over again, predictably and avoidably. Make new yeah. and more exciting <laughs> mistakes together, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that, new and more exciting mistakes, yeah.
1: And then fourth one, enable others to act, make sure people have what they need. You know, those two of the questions on the Gallup employee engagement are, I know what's expected of me at work, and do I have the materials and equipment I need to do my work, right? Well, only about 40% of employees in the U.S. said yes to that last study. I tried to find, you know, what is a leader doing if you're not helping your people know what's expected of them and providing the tools, equipment, and support to do their job? So that is that enable others to act piece of the leadership challenge. And finally, Craig, the lowest least practiced of the five areas globally, according to 70 countries studied is encourage the heart, which mm. is to recognize, celebrate, reward, thank, appreciate. How hard is that?
0: I know, I know. It, you would think it was massively difficult, but the, how, how infrequently it's done, wouldn't you?
1: Well, you know, I've heard a statistics you need about 10 positive comments for everyone, negative one for them to feel equal. And then I ask people in the workplaces that I do uh, facilitate workshops. I ask them, please raise your hand if you are receiving ten positive comments for every one negative comment, and no one raises uh, their hand. And I'm like, is it a language barrier? And they're like, no, Kimberly, we understand <laughs> your question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, okay, let me turn it around because you are high potential, mid level leaders of this company, and someday you're going to lead this organization. Raise your hand if you are giving ten times more positive comments then negative and nobody raises their hand for that one either. No,
0: no, exactly. Be the change you want to be. I mean, it's, it's like, it's the, you know, again, a lot of these things, um, you know, are time and time honored, aren't they? I mean, if you think, uh, what is it? Seven habits of highly effective leaders, catching people doing things right. It, it's, it's, yes. it's been around for a long time. It's not, it's not new, but it's, it's still un- unfortunately quite not still, not very widespread in terms of the practice. Is it?
1: Well, Craig, You know what else has been known for a long time? How to lose weight, eat less, (laughs) exercise more. Hey, guess what? 60% of Americans are overweight now, including me. I Mm -hmm. can, trying to lose five kilograms for about 15 years. I know exactly how to do it. So this Mm -hmm. one pager won't help anybody unless you actually put it into practice, which is why we don't teach in our workshops. We do learning labs, workshop therapy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So some more experiential type stuff. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. If you want to get someone to lose weight, don't tell them to read a book about exercise. Take them to the gym, get them on the bicycle.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, look, we've talked about using your schematic. We've talked about purpose. We've talked about now you, you've given us some insights into leadership. You mentioned about the next sort of thing is about making sure we've got engaged employees. And, and you mentioned Gallup, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Gallup and the Gallup 12, and, and we'll maybe have different. Ways of measuring employee engagement so maybe I know you, you've got Gallup 12 in your uh, your, your, your kind of uh, schematic, but I guess recognizing you know, whether people are using Gallup or, or a different tool there, there are some common denominators here w- w- you know what are your, what's your perspective on employee engagement and what dr- really drives employee engagement it's something we've covered on the podcast many times and and I think there are some common themes and sometimes a few outliers as well What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, what makes you jump out of bed in the morning excited to go to work? You yeah. want to work on something that matters with people that you respect and trust and enjoy, and you want to be doing your best work and becoming the highest and best version of yourself and see yourself on a path forward mm. right you know i i want to jump out of bed and run to my car to get to a job like that and i think that's what we're really lacking we want people who will come in and really care about what they are doing for a number mm. of reasons now you part of this can be avoided by just make sure that you find out what do people care about what do they love and what are they great at and help them position themselves in a role that is aligned with that you know you don't want to have a fish in a job that's climbing a tree so mm, if you're putting yeah. people in those situations then it's your fault when they don't climb the tree
0: yeah uh, yeah so yeah it, and
1: it comes down to other basic things you know like does my manager care about me as a human being and do I have an opportunity to learn and grow if you look at the details of the Gallup 12 you'll see it's basically I belong and someone cares about me and what I do matters And I Mm. care, and I'm growing, and I can see a future here.
0: Mm, mm, Yeah, definitely. And I guess even more important, you know, it's always been important, but even more so in this age of where many organizations in many developed countries are really struggling to fill jobs with the right people and retain them, and and you know, the Great Resignation, which we've had, I'm sure, is not just a European thing. I know it's been all over the world. Where post COVID, people have kind of really been reevaluating. What they want from their work even more more so now they want engaging and and stimulating jobs that are going to going to give them all of those needs aren't they?
1: Absolutely, there and the, you mentioned it. There is a huge skilled worker shortage coming about mm-hmm. 10 years ago i saw research from stanford population research institute and japan and germany are facing almost a 20% worker shortage and that was before covid and the mm-hmm. us even the us was facing 2 or 3% shortage and the reason we have less of a shortage is because we have a lot of immigration thank goodness that can help
0: mm-hmm. satisfy
1: those needs and and i live in the silicon valley san francisco bay area for crying out loud, half the people here don't speak English at home. Thank goodness they're here because this is one of the most innovative places on planet Earth, and we've mm. got lots of wonderful workers willing to do the jobs, even with all the layoffs. It's like no problem; they'll just get a raise and a promotion, like I did.
0: Mm. 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 Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we've we've got purpose, purpose, mission, vision, values. We've got the the leadership element of that. We've now got employee engagement. The next part of your your kind of connection between purpose and results is is around culture structure and strategy you want to say a little bit more more about that kimberly please
1: yeah a lot of businesses they know the structure right it's an org chart well that's one of the biggest problems people are facing is the hierarchical org chart if it is followed is the source of toxic, dysfunctional workplaces. I think it's the biggest cause. It creates Uh. power poisoning because it concentrates power into the hands of certain people. And if you've looked at some of uh, Bob Sutton's work on power poisoning, he found that people who have power, they change in five ways. Their lives are different. They get way more positive feedback as mm. everybody's kissing their butts, <laughs> mm. they they have lower impulse control, they they think of their own needs more than others, they have lower empathy, mm. and they think the rules don't apply to them, and he asked the question, do we just promote these jerks, or does power change people? Mm. What do you think, Greg?
0: <laughs> well, funny enough, funny enough, I wrote a blog about this a while ago, and, and it was titled, Does Getting promoted lower your intelligence, and and it was basically around emotional intelligence, which was I think might have been the same study actually, or similar study, which was basically looking at uh, when you look at um, you know hierarchically people within organisations, their emotional intelligence tends to get lower as the higher they go, and my posit was very much what you've just said there, which was is it because we 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 only promote people we promote people based around their technical capabilities and not their people abilities which would then kind of naturally select the you know the kind of more emotionally sort of dumb people i guess you might say but then also the other flip side was like exactly what you've just said there is actually as you climb the greasy pole is it that you just learn to become less emotionally intelligent because actually that's kind of what you you don't need that sort of skill set anymore you need to just be really good at like analyzing numbers and reading lots of reports and and kind of you know kind of uh, producing kpis and that sort of thing so i i'm i'm kind of my kind of conclusion was it's maybe a combination of both, which kind of sits on the fence a little bit, but it, I think it is an interesting. You know, it should be the opposite, I think, uh, but it but the d- data tells us that actually it's the other way around. I don't know what you where you, where you think it lies, whether it's
1: oh no, uh, learned uh, or, learned not, or uh,
0: innate or learned. He, <laughs>
1: oh, he he has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is power changing people. And so, if right. and when you get a position of great power, with whatever kind of power that is, you got to bring your closest allies around you and say hey, watch me and talk to me honestly and help me be be the kind of leader I want to be and not fall prey to that. Uh, So yeah, the structure, concentrating power is ridiculous. We've got to change it. I worked in organizations that did product development programs. I was leading a team that had over 120 people on this extended team. I was not even a manager. I was an individual employee. And it's mm. all about roles and responsibilities versus title and position in the hierarchy. And mm. uh, I think you can be a leader from any position with any title, by the way you act like a leader, communicate like a leader, think like a leader. So I think mm. that's the kind of thing uh, we need to understand that there's roles, right? The steering wheel is not the boss of the car. <laughs> so
0: mm. Yeah, yeah, and- definitely.
1: So if you can overcome the structural issues, like basically if you're in an organization that has a hierarchy, you just ignore it unless you're late for work so you know who to call. But basically ignore that hierarchy as much as possible. Uh, Hmm. Focus on structures that are based on roles and responsibilities and what people expect from one another. And then once you get past the structural issues, strategy, Okay, a lot Mm. of organizations do strategic planning, but do they ever look at that strategy? They stick it in a a file folder somewhere on their computer and never even glance at it for crying out loud. It's got Mm. to drive behavior, it's got to drive allocation of resources. And then, uh, of course, the thing that's really, really invisible, like the water that fish swim in, you know, fish don't see water. That's the culture, the organizational culture that we are in, which is the way we do things around here. You know, the stories we tell the newly hired person, watch out for this and don't do that. If you don't have a positive culture, all the negative mm. stories will take over. So I, I was so lucky to have as my mentor, Dr. Edgar Schein. He was an mm. MIT professor. Do you know about Dr. Shine?
0: Uh, I'm familiar with his work. Yeah, he's uh, he's in the fifth discipline. He did he, some of his works in the fifth discipline, isn't it? The Peter Sengi book.
1: Oh, I'm sure he's quoted in there. I'm he, pretty sure he it is. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He moved out here yeah. after
1: he retired and I met him at an event and I said, oh, I wish I could be your graduate student. And he said, oh, you can't do that. It's too late for that, but you can pay me to have lunch with you. So he gave me a really good (laughs) friends and family rate to have two hour lunch with him every month for years until COVID. And sadly, I just reconnected with him in January on January 24th. And I said, Dr. Shine, it's time to get together again. How about April? Yeah, we put it on the calendar because that's when he was going to be available. And two days later, he died
0: oh dear i didn't know he i didn't know he passed that's so sad yeah Yeah. yeah no, no I, he, I and, am um, familiar. I am f- I am familiar with his work, and and it, it, it comes up in a lot of um. If I, if, I, if I remember rightly, a lot of a lot of kind of um, double loop learning that sort of thing, Chris Aguirre stuff. um I, I've, yeah, I've, stuff I, and I know Edgar shines co- often quoted in that, and we did some work with Bob Putnam a few years ago. Who's another one, one of his kind of uh, proteges, I think. So yeah, yeah. Oh right, well, <laughs> I mean, sad, sad, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah.
1: But he, but he said. The only thing leaders do of any importance is to create and manage culture. And I'm Mm. starting to think that the only thing, but he was very adamant about that, that culture is king. And I think if we are ignoring elements of the organization's culture, we are ignoring the water that the fish swims in. It's everywhere. Mm. It's influencing everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 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 So just then, that kind of that's taken us through the first four steps. The final thing is then re- results, which I guess should be the the outcome of all of those things. If You get all those things lined up. Is it a, is it a case of just lining those four things up and and the results will follow, or are there things we still need to do in in terms of improving our business results and how we articulate them to our our people within our organization?
1: You know, it's iterative, of course. It's a spiral. It's not just a waterfall approach. And of course, I haven't put down basic things in here like, hey, make sure that your building doesn't get flooded when it rains. There's a lot of (laughs) tactical things that need to be seen to. I do find, though, if you're too focused on the tactical and you don't think about these strategic things or these higher level concepts, that you're going to end up having a place where Your employees are going to feel like workers and you're going to have a really high turnover rate. I worked with Mm. one company that had over 20% of their people quitting every year. And this Mm. was one of the biggest companies in the world. 20% Mm. can you imagine how hard it is to attract, hire, and retrain people to replace that number of human beings? Wow. And it was all because of a toxic, dysfunctional workplace, a culture that did not value leadership and team effectiveness that wasn't focused on employee engagement it was only focused on the bottom line top line numbers
0: Mm -hmm. in in your in your schematic you've got the three things i can see here the results pyramid innovative culture and entrepreneurial approach is there anything you want to say about those uh you know as as we move towards the end of this this conversation kimberly
1: absolutely Absolutely. If you want to create an amazing, successful organization that delivers wonderful financial results as well, you have to create experiences that lead to beliefs in your people, positive beliefs that will motivate and inspire them to be their highest and best version of themselves. Those beliefs will inspire their actions, and then those actions will deliver results. But all of those results are based in experiences that you can help create and shape. Mm -hmm. And then you can use tools that are well-known to deliver predictable, repeatable breakthroughs. Disruptive innovation does not have to be an accident. Like a post note or Teflon was accidentally discovered, you can use design thinking to on purpose innovate and do out of box Horizon 3. Horizon 1 is just keep the lights on, keep the job going. Horizon 2 is make it better, faster, cheaper. But Horizon 3 is a leap. You know, jump off the cliff while you're falling, grow wings, and learn how to fly. Though the design thinking approaches can help you do that. And Mm. entrepreneurial approach, you know, some places it's I ask people, hey, when's the last time you celebrated a failure? If you don't experiment, take necessary risks, learn from mistakes, and fail forward, you are not going to be able to innovate. You're just going to go out of business as slowly as possible. And a lot of people Mm. have done that. Look at Nokia. At one point, they had 52% global market share. Seven years later, you know what it was?
0: Oh, it dropped massively, didn't it? It was less than 10%. Yeah, oh, yes.
1: yeah, so, yeah. And, and it's like, boy, if you had gone into that executive team and told them they were doing anything wrong, they would be like, oh, please, Kimberly, your pills. Yeah. We got 52% yeah. global market share. Well, guess what? Going out of business as slowly as possible is fine if you're going to step off that sinking ship and retire. But there's a lot of people you're leaving in the wake that are going to suffer.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we used to. I used to use the Polaroid story as a similar kind of a met, you know, kind of analogy, yes. which was, you know, the, the, and and often these organisations like that, like Nokia, like like Polaroid, like Kodak, Blockbusters, they they need to change. Uh, w- when they're actually at their, their zenith they need to change when they're actually making the most money but they don't because they they get complacent and it's before they know it they're on that kind of downward curve and it's very very difficult then to turn things around when you you know you you lose hemorrhaging people money you know market shares dropping like a stone and then you're trying to transform the business in, in a crisis situation it's much better to do it when you're in a position of strength but businesses just never seem to learn that lesson do they
1: well, some of them do. For example, the CEO of Fuji Film, who was in the same market as Kodak when Kodak spiraled yeah. out of control. The Fuji Film CEO said every peak conceals a valley, and then mm. they figured out how to make it work by pivoting. Yeah. And so it can and has been done successfully by many organizations. I think it's just a little bit of arrogance and ego and we need to have a little bit of humility before the forces of business.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, again, I know you do a, work, a lot of work in Japan, and I've, I've, not, I've never worked in Japan. I've visited Japan. I've never worked there, but I've sort of studied, you know, kind of cultural ways of working. And I, and I, I know, uh, I believe, anyway, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there's more of a long-term outlook in in in, in Japan, and and you know, kind of Maoist sort of uh, sorry, not Maoist, there's Taoist com, com, like cultures, whereas. You know, I think in an Anglo-American environment, we do tend to look more towards the short term and and that leads to kind of short term thinking. And I love that. And, you know, analogy that every peak conceals a valley. Uh, If if we if we're only looking at the peak and we forget on the other side of that, there's going to be a valley, then we're more likely to just sort of, you know, kind of enjoy the view and and forget that Mm -hmm. we're going to go tumbling down the other side, I guess.
1: Absolutely. And you're right. The Japanese folks have a much longer term view. I've been working with one company called Kurare, who's a materials Mm -hmm. manufacturer, for 16 years. And they've hired us to do 20 really huge seven-month leadership programs for uh, their people. And after the first four or five, I went to them and said, why are you still hiring me? We need to activate this network. We need to put this into practice. And they said, Kimberly, please be patient.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Sixteen brilliant, years brilliant. later,
1: we're still doing this program, and now we have 400 out of their 11,000 employees have been through this very intensive program, which turns managers into leaders, turn groups into real teams who can use common sense as common practice to get impossible things done predictably and repeatably.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, look, Kimberly. I am going to bring things to a close there. As you've shared. I think we've had a good kind of. Um, me, me, I think we we share a lot of sort of similar view, world views there, which I think is a good thing. I don't think we're kind of. Uh, I don't think there's any group thing going on there. But but very much, I, I, I kind of concur with your analysis, there. and I think we've given our listeners a really good walk through that whole kind of connection between you know how we start with a purpose, and you know I love the I love the kind of conversation we had around the kind of coming in on a Monday morning and what you should be doing, and then all of those connections between that purpose. The leadership, the leadership challenge that you talked about, the employee engagement, whatever tools we use to sort of measure that, and then this whole kind of connection between that culture, structure, strategy, and then finally through to to, to you know delivering those results and communicating those results. Any any final tips for our listeners because they always like a little. You know, kind of takeaway tool, and we'll put some links in the show notes to your your books and and this one pager that we've been referring to. So if people want to reach out to you, uh, any other any other kind of tips or pearls of wisdom before we close this interview <laughs> out, Kimberly? <laughs> yes,
1: Craig, I have so enjoyed this conversation, and I just want to say this: these so called soft skills, which I call human skills, and some people call touchy feely crap, that is what is underlying the success or failure of your organization. And you can succeed without it because your competitors suck as well. But if you do this, you can double your employee engagement, have 20% more profits and a higher stock price growth. So there's no downside to doing these things, Craig. It's not touchy feely crap. It matters.
0: Mm, absolutely so yeah you stand if you're listening to this and you're kind of worried about you know am i am i advocating this the human side of our work and our business too much then you can't do it enough and kimberly and i both agree that that's that's a really important thing and comms and engagement and all of these things connecting obviously with with what we've been talking about so look Kimberly, thank you so much for, uh, for, for, for the insights that you've shared with us. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll maybe catch up with you on a few other topics as well, because I'd love to tap into your some of your other expertise and wisdom and, and experiences as well. So uh, thank you so much. I hope that um, tree doesn't fall on you or on your house and you, you kind of get through <laughs> this uh, time of year okay, unscathed
1: yes well you know i'm very grateful for the life that i'm living here in silicon valley and i'll just uh, make sure i dodge those falling trees because other people have it way
0: harder some places in the world absolutely good way of looking at it well look kimberly thank you so much you take care now and uh, thank you so much on behalf of our listeners
1: my pleasure craig bye bye now
0: bye bye We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms Podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services our big pictures our learning maps our explainer videos and also our live graphic recording please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk thank you